You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I am your co-host, Brandon Ware, and I am accompanied by my ravishing partner, Dr. Jess. I asked him to do my intro, and that's what I got. That's not bad. Was it all right? Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Okay, cool. And we'll, let's roll with that. We're going to be talking about some interesting subjects today. And before we get started, I want to say thank you to Desire Resorts for their ongoing support. Check out at Desire Experience for clothing optional cruising, clothing optional resorts. You should also check out Temptation Resorts, sister company that is open to singles, groups, threesomes, couples, and more. They're not clothing optional, but they are topless optional. And I'm sure there are some rooms or secret crevices you can sneak into and get bottomless. Now, what I'm really waiting for, we have clothing optional resorts. We have topless optional resorts. When are we going to have bottomless optional resorts? Hopefully never. You know those classy places where you keep your top on, but shirt cock down the bottom. I was going to say, also known as shirt cocking. Yeah, shirt cocking, I guess, is where you wear a shirt, but your penis is hanging out the bottom. You look great, said no one ever at a shirt cocking event. Hang on. What if you're wearing a fanny pack? Oh, yeah. Take it up a notch. You're 10. I have I have seen the shirt cocking with the fanny pack, and you know, I think I was a bit of a fan of it. Fanny pack? Fan? Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even mean to do that. So before we get started with our interview, and we've got a really cool guest today, reading this headline that women under the age of 30 dream about sex three times as often as their grandmas did 50 years ago. Is that really surprising though? You know what? I think we just are more open to admitting it. Sometimes when I see numbers that relate to increase in sexual desire or frequency or behavior, I think that it has to do with a willingness to admit it. Yeah. I bet you the grandmas had their freak on. They probably got, they probably had some crazy, kinky, awesome thoughts. They just never told anyone about them. Have you had any sex dreams lately? Yeah, I have. Oh. And it was with someone totally not like into, not going to name drop. But I woke up thinking, wow, that was not what I expected to dream about last night at all. Was it a good dream? Eh, No, even in the dream, I was like, meh. (laughs) Meh, you know, that's actually what I remember thinking. I'm like, are we really doing this? I had a nightmare last night. It wasn't about sex. I had this nightmare that I told off someone in my family. I said everything I wanted to say to this person. And then it was Christmas Eve in my dream. And my mom was really upset at me for telling this person off. And I woke up with my heart racing and I couldn't go back to sleep. Yeah, I've done that. I've woke up and almost had a friggin' panic attack because of whatever I was dreaming about and didn't even remember. I just woke up crazy anxiety. I've been asked about dreams before. I'm definitely no expert on dreams, but I would love to talk to somebody who has actual, you know, empirical evidence and research around dreams because I'm sure this dream I had last night, you know, is a reminder that I probably have some things I wish I could get off my chest. I think we should have a segment called Brandon Interprets Your Dreams. Okay. Interpret. Go. So so hold on. What what was the dream though? Remind me again. Christmas Eve, I yelled at someone in my family and I told them everything I think. So um, you should have anal 
oh. and um, probably eat some ice chips mm-hmm. and uh, down four shots of hot sauce. I have no idea where any of that came from. Yeah, that really helped. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, you know what? That was seven, be seven grand. Seven grand? Yeah. You're a therapist, like yeah. almost Sorry. a therapist. You know, whatever works. So today we are going to be talking about a number of topics if we have time from toxic masculinity to solo sexuality to porn addiction and how to have the best sex ever. We are joined by Dr. Chris Donahue, host of Loveline, as well as the Amber Rose and Dr. Chris Show podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. All the way from Los Angeles. That's right. Is there a big difference between sex in Los Angeles and sex in Toronto, or have you not had time for that yet? <laughs> so funny. My friends are saying that, too. They're like, do us proud while you're in the city. Well, unfortunately, I landed last night, and I got a cold on the airplane, so I ate and went to bed. So it's, that's how exciting my life is right now. Okay. Well, I mean, just in I'll my neighborhood know. where we're recording right now, yeah. there's plenty of gabers. Okay, cool. So there's, I'll knock on doors when I leave. There was, there was actually <laughs> one guy knocking on our door yesterday looking for Brandon. Oh, well. Brandon, what's that about? Completely ignored Jess. In she was no, no word of a lie. She was standing next to me. Didn't even register that she was there. That's how so, it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll leave it there. Okay. Maybe if you put on some pants, he would have noticed me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the problem. No pants again. So, so Dr. Chris Donahue yeah. is in Toronto this week for a press event with Womanizer and We Vibe, and you're going to be talking about some male sex myths that's right <laughs> what what do we get wrong about oh, oh male everything, sexuality everything i mean and that's one of the reasons so i know we're gonna talk about it down the road but I, I my newest book rebel love i wrote for the same reason because we're getting a lot of things wrong and we're also at a time finally where people are trying to kind of push their boundaries and so uh, a couple of things are, first off, we get tied to gender too much, where I think people get trapped and limited by their gender. And what ties into that is like, you know, toxic masculinity, homophobia. And so a lot of guys aren't willing to really explore what I would call their authentic sexuality. And so right now I'm working hard on reminding people that whatever you think your sexual orientation is, and I mean that beyond gender, it's far bigger. Um, because a few of us will really push our boundaries in terms of like our sex positivity, body positivity, even within gender and stuff like that. So I think the first myth is that, is that we're all a little more sexually fluid than we realize. And again, not always Mm gender-based, but just in terms of like what parts of our body will allow to be utilized Mm -hmm. sexually and the kinds of sex acts we'll try. Also, um, I've been talking a lot in my practice about the idea that not all men are tops. And a lot of heterosexual couples, they expect the man to be the assertive, more sexual being. And I work with a lot of clients where the male is quite passive and a bottom. And so I have to reorient that where the female saying, my God, you know, if my husband won't grab me and throw me down and we're like looking over at him and he is this gentle, soft man. I'm like, your husband is a bottom. You need to be the assertive top. And sometimes it means the relationship can't work sexually or we work on kind of pushing outside of that. But I think that's a uh, misunderstanding and also just around erections. I work with so many people that really see erectile disappointment or failure as a disorder and it's not. You know, there's a, there is a normal expectation that it's going to kind of shift. And it happens It happens to every single person That's at right. some point in your life. I like that you even called it erectile disappointment yeah. and not dysfunction. Like the, the power of language, right? That's and right. I'm sure that that's something that you have to talk about is it, it could be something that's just a temporary setback and, you know, accept it, move on. or Expect it. Yeah. And I think, so I think you might have actually been there. We, uh, the sex expo in New York City a couple years ago. I mean, you've probably been there a thousand times. Yeah. I was presenting and it was really funny because before me was some doctor doing like uh, sexual dysfunctions or no, no, no. It was um, 
uh, erectile dysfunction, something like that was like erectile dysfunctions. And then after it was like, Dr. Chris, the myth of erectile dysfunctions. Because <laughs> I'm always the one trying to like dismantle and challenge these problematic norms that make people really unable to feel confident in their bodies and their sexualities. Uh, you know, and as we age every decade, we should expect another 10% chance of erectile disappointments or frustrations. And so it's not if, it's when, and what are you going to do about it when it happens? How confident can you be? Is right. that what it is? Is it, yeah. is it a 10% reduction every decade, There's roughly? different stats, but that's the one that I'm most confident in is every decade, another 10% chance. So in your 40s, 40% of the time, 50, 50%, 60, 60. You know, it's wow. just part of natural aging. And so that's where you have to get comfortable using fingers, tongues, toys, not erectile-based sex, non-penetrative-based sex. Your nose. Your nose. Get your damn nose in there. Get it all. <laughs> give them give them a nose job already. Go side to side, up and down, round and round, in and out. I love you, that. You have you that. ever felt the tip of your nose? Give it a feel. All these people on the subway right now are touching their nose, hopefully. Yeah. And my mom, too, because I know she's listening. It's got such a cool texture to it. It actually sort of feels like a cervix, if you've ever felt a cervix. You really do talk about getting your nose in there. I've heard you say it. Yeah, I tell them, you know what? 98.6% of vaginas don't bite. 92% of anuses don't bite. So get your damn nose in there. That's a new one for me. I'm going to have to sit with that, the nose. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean... You... I'll, I'll cite you too. I'll be like, look. <laughs> well, I made up those statistics. So, <laughs> I mean... Just in case I just mean the worried. nose piece. I haven't heard anyone really talk about engaging the nose, so I will reference you yeah. as, as the, you know... The nose person. The nose job doctor. That's right. I'm in love with that. Right? And the people... I. I tell them I'm like they need something to grind against and that something is your face <laughs> right what do you want us to grind against the air yeah. this isn't an air humping competition yes, yes. get in there don't be afraid of it That's whatever right. it is you're eating anus vagina anything so you talked about body positivity do you love your body um it's a really good question so uh let me talk about it in a, in a broad way and then zero in I think it's hard for a few of us to really feel solid 100% of the time in our bodies uh, I was jokingly saying that I'll be at the gym and I'll be working out and standing next to me is the exact model across the street on a billboard in his underwear. And so you cannot not be reminded of what is expected of you or what your quote unquote competition is, however you want to hear that word, if you're single or whatever it is. Uh, so you're constantly being reminded uh, that you're supposed to look a certain way. And even if you do, you're held hostage by the idea that you need to maintain that because your partner maybe wanted that from you, expects that from you, or culture does. And so I carry that pressure for sure. And part of the work I do, I think, is because I look fuckable, I look like I'm having sex, and my clients and the people I work with and for need to buy into that and believe that. So it's hard. And as the body ages and changes and I travel a lot, um, not always able to eat the food I want to eat. So I have to encounter struggles and issues. But overall... I would say it's not that I love my body as much as I try to be body neutral and just not really consider it or think about it. Interesting. Where I'll eat what I eat and I go to the gym and it is what it is and I'm pretty confident just being like, here's what it looks like today or this week or this month. It's still sex. That's great. I like yeah. that a lot. Body neutral. So I love my body and it's not the way it looks necessarily. I like the way it looks, but I just feel like... And I've said this before. It's just the vessel that carries me through life. And I got to love it, man. Like, I, I played Ultimate Frisbee last night. I know Brandon makes fun of me for it. Just a uh, little. I climbed. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you make fun of her for it? Is she not good? No, she's uh, an amazing oh, Ultimate wow, Frisbee well player. Done. She really is. But the people that play Ultimate Frisbee are very into it. <laughs> <laughs> like, very. I thought he was going to say another word, an I'm, expletive. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I played for a season and then almost got into a fight over somebody calling me out. Okay, we're not going to go over that. We're not going to go there. That's me game night. I get like really aggressive at game night. They're like, Chris, 
it's a game. It's like a, board game. It's a board game. It's oh, a board game. Damn. I start. I start getting. Yeah. So I understand that. Yeah. Flip the table. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Now nobody owns Park Place. <laughs> That's right. That's me. Yeah. So so I just appreciate that my body does does such so much for me, right. and I think that so much of what we talk about around body image has to do with the way we look, and of course that's something as you said, like you're constantly reminded reminded of, but also just its function. That's right. Right. The way it moves for me. I don't know. I. I as I get older, and I'm not that old yet, but I got a big birthday coming up next year. So I've got the big 4-0 coming up, party planning already. And yeah, I think about, you know, if I can live 40 more years or 80 more years after that, I just want my body to keep functioning. Yeah. And it, so much of our body love is tied to the way we look. And how, how do you get beyond that? It's a couple of things. Uh, one of the things I'm a big proponent of is people unfollowing the images on their social media that make them feel bad or tell them they have to look a certain way, which upsets a lot of influencers and I've had them come after me, you know, cause I'm <laughs> messing with their paycheck. But, um, you know, there's people that want that great follow that, but then there's people where they're spending their entire day consistently bathing their psyche and their self-esteem in these images that they'll never live up to, nor do they, you know, nor do they need to. So tell them to follow things that make more sense. Also just set boundaries with their friends. Tell okay. your friends, let's not be the kinds of friends that talk about our bodies Let's not be that group and yeah. let's actually support each other, yeah. uh, build community. And also we have to surround ourselves in healthier thoughts. So I tell people you have to do some reading. Um, what are you listening to? So yeah, you have to kind of take responsibility for your environment. Yeah, I appreciate that. Now you also brought up toxic masculinity and your, your book is called Rebel Love, Break the Rules, Destroy Toxic Habits and Have the Best Sex of Your Life. And so <laughs> when you say toxic masculinity, there are people who get their back up because they, they think, we're, think we're talking about all forms of masculinity and let's erode all things that are traditionally or culturally masculine. And that's not what we're talking about Correct. when we say toxic max- masculinity. So what is it? How do we bring it to its knees yeah it's a it's a it's a good question it's a big topic so in my in my use of it toxic masculinity are the elements of maleness or being male-bodied that work against you and are toxic for you the world you know people that are female identified as well and that keep you limited and trapped so if we're talking specifically about sexuality it's the idea that there's certain ways you need to and should be sexual because you're a male you can't be a bottom or passive um, you always have to be hypersexual. Your penis better always be functioning because that's your main sexual tool. You can't ever explore sexuality with the uh, same sex or maybe even someone trans identified. Um, you have to not have a lot of emotionality, you know? So it's just these aspects that really limit your being. Yeah, and the costs of that, like that, that last piece around expressing emotion. Because I was reading this work that men's brains are more emotionally responsive in the areas that we associate with emotional response when you put them in a lab and expose them to some sort of emotional stimuli. But when you ask them after what they felt, they're far less expressive. So they say they're not as emotional, but in terms of brain functioning, we're seeing more emotional response. So that stymieing of something natural must cost us so much in yeah, relationships. Yeah, we stop, we stop touching boys uh, at around age eight. And that's when we stop providing young males with affection. Mm. And then they come into my office wanting to learn how to be expressive or their partners. Like, you know, my partner is affectionate, doesn't know how to touch me. And he only knows how to express his um, masculinity through sports or sex. So that's a problem. Um, mm. So toxic masculinity and the way it shows up in my practice or the way I work with people is just trying to like live outside of gender norms. Mm-hmm. I really think that they foul everything up and that we should not use those as a way to define our sexuality. So we could just put people like you and me out of business if we eradicated gender, right? <laughs> but that's what I jokingly say. As soon as uh, you know, cis heteroidentified guys are willing to do anal, 
um, I'm done here. Like, my job here is done. I need to do no more because that moment is is going to tell me that we've like achieved so much in terms of like sexism, toxic masculinity, body shame. Like that is the the moment that it's all been resolved and brought to its knees, as you said. Because when straight guys are just laying there consistently, comfortably, taking I hear. It, I mean, I hear a lot of what you're saying. I mean, I, I I fall I fall into that in the sense that I'm not always aggressive in our relationship. I'm not always, um, you know, willing to admit how I feel. Like, I mean, I've, I have to work on it. I have to be cognizant of it. But also when you surround yourself with people that are not willing to, to do the same, it just kind of reinforces this idea of what it means to be, you know, macho or, or that toxic masculinity that you're referencing. And you, I mean, as much as what you just said about, you know, straight cisgender having anal and then your work is done, <laughs> it's not going to start there. Right. So... You, it's almost feel like within your group, somebody needs to be ta- willing to take that leap initially and have a meaningful conversation, even just to get things started. And, and I'll tell you, like, I have friends now that I will meet and have more meaningful conversation. And I still have friends, very good friends, that our conversations seemingly are superficial. And it's hard to make that transition to have an emotionally vulnerable conversation. But when I do wow, does it make a difference? And I'm not saying I'm breaking down in a conversation to start, but I'm just saying, screw it. I'm yeah. going to start, you know, expressing how I feel. And, you know, even some of these things that you've made reference to thus far about, uh, I didn't know the statistic about 10% um, uh, erectile dissatisfaction as you progress. I mean, that's a really interesting statistic for me to be aware of. But I want that to be liberatory for people, right? Of to course. release pressure, not make people panic. Some people panic. But then also associating sex with penetration. That's and it's right. like it doesn't, like even just that mindset, needing to change it and say, hey, hey man, like just because you can't perform the way that you think you can perform doesn't mean that it can't be enjoyable for everyone here. Like use your nose, right? Or <laughs> your use, nose is always there. You know, it's but I'm going to let you down. But this, this is, you know, the other problem that, that's coupled with that is female uh, partners that personalize the inability of their partner to get or maintain an erection. What's wrong with me? Are you attracted to me anymore? Don't you love me? So it's also about having them understand so they can back that off. Right. And the performative element for guys for too, sure. right? Like if I can't perform something, I'm not enough of a man or something's wrong with me. And I, I mean, I've had... Um, personally like we've been intimate and i'm worried about like is everything okay and then i start getting in my brain and i'm thinking is something wrong with me and at that point you're not even having sex anymore because sex is supposed to be fun pleasurable connective so it's like you've stepped outside and psychologically you're now doing something else i'm worrying yeah i'm i'm having this anxiety filled moment that is not enjoyable for me but and if, if we can normalize that from the get-go, from when guys are really young, that you know, sometimes you'll be really aroused and you'll be enjoying yourself and you won't get a heart on. And then it happens and they're like, oh, that was one of those times. As opposed to what we've done is said, every sexual experience must be you getting an erection, then ejaculating, and then you're done. And then one day they don't get an erection. They're like, oh my God, something's wrong with me. Something's right. up. And so it's going to happen to every single person. And what they know about the reality of bodily functioning makes all the difference. Because I've had guys come and say, especially um, people who are having sex, for example, for the first time in a group or sex mm-hmm. with a new partner or sex uh, you know, in a swinging or swapping or lifestyle situation, they get nervous and they get overexcited and they get overstimulated. And the experience that they have been waiting for and planning for and begging for for years comes to a halt because they don't have an erection. That's but right. if we could just let them know that 
hey, this will happen sometimes. It won't happen another time. Just because it happened this time doesn't mean it's going to happen what next we're time. Up against the the big old porn, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm an advocate of porn for a lot of reasons. I'm against it for some other reasons, and for a lot of uh, hetero men specifically, that's the few times they encounter a penis. They don't get chances to see other penises, what they look like, how they operate. Porn does not show erectile letdowns. <laughs> like, what movie is that where he's like, oh, I'm not staying hard, but that's cool because I'm still here with you and I'll just go down on you for a while. I got my nose. Right? Yeah, thank you. How did I not bring that in? Don't worry, boo, I got my nose. Like, it's still going to be good. It's got a nice ridge. That's right. It's got a very nice ridge to it. You do. <clears throat> so it's like we need, we need that to shift. Now, again, they're making more porn that's feminist, body positive, queer porn that does show... Uh, letdowns and aftercare and lubrication issues. And so we need more of that because, again, that's where a lot of guys are seeing sexuality in other penises. Yeah. And, you know, so the bottom line is you need to see more penises. And I, I'm, sure. a, I'm a big big advocate of people seeing real sex. That's right. Going to a place where people have real live sex. Like if you want to learn to cook, you're going to go to a cooking studio or watch a show. You're not going to watch a fake show about cooking. You know how controversial that statement is, though? Because when I say things like that, people lose yeah. their shit. But it's funny how it's the one thing that we don't support you really experiencing or recognizing the necess- like the necessity of skill development. Right. Because you're right. What other thing on the planet do we have you just talk about in theory, right. assuming you'll be able to figure it out when it happens? Football? Nothing. Yeah. Right? If you want to improve your game, you actually watch That's yourself right. on tape. You That's watch. Right. If you're Bill Belichick, you get in there and you spy on other teams and, and film them from the trees. I'm going to have some New England now, fans now pretty mad at me right that, now. That's actually spying on other people no. from the trees. No. This is just Although, yeah. some people, that is like their Saturday that's hot they want to be smart yeah but, but with consent Bill Belichick is a, is a consent That's violator hilarious. in terms of spying on other teams oh New England folks are going to be mad at me right now but I but it's funny because when you say it to people um, I'll say to patients or just people that call into the radio show go have more sex and there's like silence and they're like wait what and I'm like yeah go go have a lot of sex in the next couple months and it's like foreign to them because you're promoting maybe promiscuity or you're promoting whatever word they might use. And I'm like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. If it's consensual, you're a healthy adult, you're making healthy adult decisions with go have even people that are uncomfortable in their body. That's when things I'll prescribe. Go have sex, go see your body, have desire reflected back, be naked more. Totally. And with yourself. That's right. Go do yourself over and over again because most of us, like our masturbation habits were created from a very young age. Mm-hmm. It was in secrecy. That's right. It was as fast as possible. It was as quiet as possible. There was shame in it. And we need to undo all those years of learning. I mean, Brandon, you had years of learning, right? Many years. <laughs> Many years of self-learning. Brandon, did you ever use WeVibe? Uh, <laughs> not at that time. He only I had $4. the vector really great. <laughs> yeah, given my limited funds when I started, WeVibe was not in, uh, in, in the realm of what I was going to use. But that is another interesting topic. You know, a lot of men don't use sex toys. And mm. that's another barrier to break where if I ask my friends, how many of you have a sex toy? Very few do. And then if they do, it's rare that they use them. Because again, what you just said, we're trained to make masturbation quick as possible, quick, easy, quiet, just bang it out, something to get done, not something to save or sit with, explore, mm-hmm. make a day of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of the work too. I'm guilty of being efficient. Most of the time, right. seriously, if you're away, if Jess is away, I'm just like, I'm going to get this done as quickly as possible. But isn't that but, interesting because you won't do anything else, right? Like you'll eat slow. I mean, I guess we do kind of shove food down sometimes, but. Yeah. But do you not do the same thing when I'm here? Get it done as fast as you can? No, just kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it seems to be, seems to be the, 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 the trend. No. Though that's another another myth to talk about, for What's example, that, that men need to last longer. That's right. And I, I would never ever say, oh, I wish that, very rarely would I say, I wish that lasts longer. But that's my 
issue again with the sexual dysfunction diagnosis is mm-hmm. again, where's this magic number coming from mm-hmm. around length of time is supposed to last? Um, and should you even give a shit based on where it came from mm-hmm. versus saying like, I'm someone who ejaculates very quickly or I'm someone who takes a little bit longer. So I'm a fan of people just getting more uh, confident in who they happen to be and getting yeah. these like pathology based labels away because clients come in and that's what the work is like. They'll say, I'm a premature ejaculate. No, you just come very quickly. Yeah. And you, and, and you want to enjoy yourself. Yes. So many of the PE programs, I actually have a, a course we're developing online, cool. but it's about, it's really about enjoying sex more. If you last longer, so be it. Right. If you want to last longer, fine. But all of these programs are about desensitizing yourself when we want you to actually tune in. Isn't that interesting though, desensitizing yourself? Because yeah. we're not talking about sex anymore. No. Now we're talking about performance, all these other factors. But aren't you also equating... Um, sh- lasting longer with the idea that both people are ejaculating at the exact same moment and it's as though if i were to finish before you or vice versa that the other person isn't going to continue to invest into that activity until both people meet some sort of mutually agreeable outcome right so it's simultaneous orgasm sounds like the 90s to me <laughs> do you know what i mean it's like seinfeld it's, and simultaneous it's orgasm. like everyone's screaming at the oh, same awesome. time and then it's done but it's not always the i would imagine rarely is that the case no of course not. right yeah. but you know again porn very that's a very few moments where people a lot of people get to watch sex happen and so they don't have anything to really challenge that because when's the last time you and your buddy sat down and said let's talk about our sex lives yeah it's yeah. rare and if you do it's not talked about in a really honest vulnerable way about your struggles or concerns no no i i completely agree with you i think people ask me about sex because they're curious about desire resorts Right. They're curious oh, about. So our we go down to this there. resort where you, you're clothing optional right. and there are sex in various places, and that's what people are curious about. But they're not really curious about how you feel. That's right. They're not really curious about your experience. They're really hung up on what do people look like. And the more you're around real live bodies and real live sex, the less you're concerned with exactly how they look. Like yeah. You're more in tune with maybe the way they move or the way they feel or the way they make you feel or the energy and, and the rest of the experience That's right. as opposed to just some aesthetic piece. So I, I wanted to go back to the personalizing of not having an erection and how you said female partners will often take it personally. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you find the same thing with your same-sex clients or is there a better understanding because they both might have a penis? I'd say it's both. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely a better understanding because they have their own experience of that which their partner's experiencing. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to not somehow sometimes personalize that and say, if I was enough, I might help push them over that edge and they might be able to get hard or stay hard. Mm-hmm. And so this is just a matter of people understanding that sometimes having an erection is the norm and sometimes not having yeah. an erection is the norm. And both of those can be really valid and authentic and pleasurable reactions to pleasure. Yeah, because even, even if you take it away from the penis and you look at just sexual desire, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I'm going to talk about tonight is how men can be the lower desire partner, which yeah. is surprising, right? We expect men to be hypersexual. So in some relationships I've worked with <clears throat> where they're same sex or opposite sexed, it's the male who has low sexual desire mm-hmm. and that's very, very, very confusing for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I'm also trying to remind people that we also have like asexuality. Yeah. That your partner, you know, again, doesn't have this disorder of low sexuality. They might be more asexual. Also, I'm trying to use this word that is not catching on. No one seems to give a shit. Okay, we got you. Every time we drop it, people are like, cool, and they keep talking. But some people are more solo sexual, where they're not Mm. geared towards sex with a partner. Hmm. And your low desire might be that you prefer prefer masturbation or your what you're labeling a porn addiction might be you prefer solo sex and you tack porn on. But that's lost on people. But not mm-hmm. every, we assume that everyone should be geared towards partnered sex and others, and 
No, everything's a continuum. There was a piece recently on auto-sexuality, uh, so sort of like solo sexuality. Yeah. And, um, of course, when I posted it, everyone was like, oh, all these millennials are just in love with themselves. They're so self-absorbed. And that's not what it's about. Right. You know, I like to read a book by myself. I don't want to read a book with you talking over my shoulder. I like to cook by myself. I don't like when people come and ask me a gazillion questions when I'm in the kitchen, but nobody thinks something's wrong with are you, me. Are you listening, Brendan? No. <laughs> She's talking know. to you right now. I'm fine if she wants to cook by herself because I suck. No, I, um, it's it's not you, but <laughs> Well, I also, you know, my personalizing this all, I'm I'm quite introverted and I'm socially anxious, I'm socially awkward. Mm-hmm. I don't like a lot of socialization and so although I do enjoy partnered sex, there are components of like being more asocial that tie into that too. We're not mm-hmm. everyone's social and that's going to tie into their choice of partnered sex or not partnered sex and so like we have to bring that in i'm really happy for technology in that respect because i think that the way we now communicate is more varied so some people are super comfortable walking up to you on the street and say yeah. and striking up a conversation and some people would never do that but they'd be able to craft a message or they'd be able to use emojis to express themselves so i know everyone is poo-pooing on techno technological advances i'm not i think it's a very helpful tool for some people yeah. i mean I work a lot. I work 14-hour days. Sometimes I don't have days off in weeks. Like, mm-hmm. that's the way I'm going to find date and sex partners. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm not out in the world otherwise. But we're here for you in Toronto Thank for you. the sex partners. So, on. on the topic of solo sexuality, real quick, is there a toy that you've used that you think is Levi. great? <laughs> the vector. Uh, <laughs> in, in general, though... Um, that you brought up the Tanga egg. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the Tanga egg. I feel like I'm promoting it right now, but here we go. I am, but not meaning to. Um, it's disposable. It's discreet. It's simple. It comes with a lube in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has like multi-uses. And so I like products like that because, again, um, I work a lot. I'm lazy. I don't want something that's the clean, air dry, put out, you know. So I like things that are simple, you know, easily cleaned, one use. Pivot. Pivot. Uh, we vibe Pivot works on so many different so levels. the pivot is a is a vibrating penis ring i'm sure i've talked about it before it sits at the base of the penis it's got some great angles to be used in multiple positions and then you guys had brought up the vector the vector is a relatively new toy on the market and it is a vibrating prostate toy lots of r&d going into it uh my my clients are liking it thus far i haven't used it because i don't have a prostate accessible through my butt i do have a prostate accessible through my vaginal canal but let's not talk about my vaginal canal let's go back to porn because you talked about uh, uh, being a fan of porn for some reasons and not a fan for another reasons and I want to talk a little bit about porn addiction because I know you've done some writing on that and there there is some division within the psychological and expert community on the terminology porn addiction is a profitable industry but it is not a diagnosis and I've seen you write about how porn is a form of scapegoating and an excuse oftentimes for your own behavior, and it, it, porn addiction itself, just for people who don't know, has been repeatedly rejected by the the American Psychological Association, the American Medical Association. It's not in the DSM. Uh, in terms of anyone that considers evidence-based data. Good luck finding it. Right. Over sensationalism. So, so why is porn addiction such a draw? Why do people want to say, my problem is porn addiction, my husband's problem, and it's usually men, is porn addiction? Our marital problems all come down to their porn addiction. Yeah. Um, so the research was showing that where people were saying originally that um, people that were using a high quantity of porn, that it was creating uh, marital conflict, we, the research shows the opposite. When they're not in relationships that they're happy about and the sex isn't the way they want it, they then seek out porn. So the issue is the relationship, not that porn is the problem creating problems in the relationship. It's the reverse. And so for those... 
uh, that are struggling with it, the work is really about looking at the state of your relationship, your partner choice. Are you guys sexually compatible? And that's why I tell people, have sex as soon as possible. Please don't think that because you like your partner, you have a lot in common or they're hot, that sexual chemistry is going to be there. It's not. Um, that's something you have to explore, right? It exists on its own. So before you make any commitment, make sure that's there, especially if you're going to do monogamy. My God, if you're going to give your sexuality, your partner's sexuality to one person, better make sure it's there. Otherwise, you might be turning to things like pornography as a way to still manage your monogamous relationship. And if you're hypersexual, then of course you'll be doing it a lot. And, and that can also be okay. That's In fact, right. porn can be a great tool. If I want sex a lot more than Brandon, then... Porn might be something that I use on the side if we're in a monogamous relationship. You also talk about toxic monogamy. And I think this is really important because people always... It's okay. (laughs) I (laughs) I like it. I'm just playing footsies. Uh, People, people, again, sometimes when we use the word toxic, think that all monogamy is toxic. But that's not what you're saying here. Yeah, and I had to keep correcting that because I I got a bad rap for a while where people were thinking I hated marriage and monogamy. And I was like, let me clarify, no. I think it's the way some people are running their marriages and monogamy, a.k.a. toxic monogamy, that is a problem. These ideas that, um, oh my gosh, there's so many good examples. One, the idea of ownership, that um, your sexuality is mine, and that's where the issues with porn come in, that you shouldn't be able to recognize other things as attractive in the world. Dear God in heaven, you can be married and monogamous and still allow your partner to engage with their eyeballs and be oriented towards attractive things in the world in a really respectful, loving way. Uh, so it's things like that. Uh, just it, It's usually the ownership, these different forms of ownership that actually start to fall under the category of emotional abuse, where people think they have a right to be looking at your search history and then shame you for what you're looking at versus saying, wow, you know, tell me about your sexuality or I snooped and I shouldn't have, but what I found helped me understand more about you and trying to like lovingly engage it and partner with it. It's usually used against people. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of some of the writing I'm doing for my next book is looking at some of the elements of monogamy that are quite toxic. And in Rebel Love, I talk about some of the elements of the way people are running their marriage relationships that are quite problematic. Because again, marriage is awesome. Do it. Do your thing. It's but, awesome for some people. Sure. And I mean, you define what your marriage is. That's but right. The issue of control. So people will say to me, is it okay to watch porn while I'm in a relationship? And I mean, I don't really get to make that call. Right. But if you are, or is it okay... You know, people say, well, something wrong with my partner because all he does is look at uh, pictures of girls in bikinis. That's his entire Instagram feed. He's liking all these pictures. This is a big one. Uh, yeah, and I saw that as, as one of your posts as well, that when you try and control what they like and what they look at, do you think that it deepens your love? Yes, but see, that's the, that's the question. Do you think that that's an act of love and care? Do you think that that brings your partner towards you? Do you think that they feel yeah loved and cared for? Do you think that that's a healthy uh, standard to set up? And you have to that person who's upset about that has to do the work of looking at where did they get the idea? that that was okay for me to do that um is this something i want to sustain in my relationship what's the impact of that yeah and why am i so upset that he's looking at these beautiful pictures what what is it about my life that makes me feel like i I either can't compare to those pictures or that i want to be like those pictures or whatever it may be but there, there was a research last year around liking photos and how that amounted to cheating and we had Mm. to kind of dismantle all of that because you can't I I mean I wouldn't even think to think oh what has Brandon double tapped today I wouldn't either and I hate that Instagram gives you the the capacity to look at whoever you're following what they're liking and what comments they're posting like please remove that because first off that's like a loaded gun but I agree with you I've never thought to say let me see what someone I'm dating is liking or following I don't I don't need that but that's also because I have trust I don't date people I don't trust and if I trust you I go with that until I'm shown in a healthy way that I can't and then I address that because then we can land in the whole topic of someone cheating on you if you have a a boundary against that that's not a moment to leave them it's a moment to say what was that about what's going on how can we learn more can we strengthen something do we need to make some kind of change 
Right. There's a hierarchy of relationship transgressions. And of course, cheating is at the very top. Yes. Right. I can treat you terribly. I can talk to you in ways that are demeaning, but not everybody is going to expect you to leave me over that. But if I were to cheat on you, especially if I was a woman cheating on a man, of course, your your pride, your honor. That's right. and, and this is where we again, we need to eradicate gender. I'm on board with that. I'm down too. Don't, <laughs> don't worry. I'm still here. <laughs> okay, so to, to close out, rebel love, break the rules, destroy toxic habits, and have the best sex of your life. What should we be doing besides breaking down the gender rules? Is there anything specific somebody can do tonight in, in changing the way they think or changing the way they behave or approaching something with, uh, you know, a, a new angle yeah. to have better sex? This is a really broad answer, and it's going to uh, frustrate some people. I want people to really work on tapping into what's authentically and honestly arousing and hot to them, being done to them, doing to others, and trying to lead with that. Even if it's something you know your partner doesn't want to hear or do, I want people to do the whole thank you. Like, thank you for being more known. Thank you for caring enough about us to tell me that. I have no interest, not into that, but thank you for sharing a part of yourself with me. And so I want that piece somehow, more intimacy building, uh, sharing the parts of yourself that make you anxious, looking at your sexuality and fantasy and porn and say, are there things in there that are real for me that I want to try to engage Talk about it. Bring it to your partner. Talk to your friends about it. I really appreciate that piece around if somebody tells you something that makes you uncomfortable, if your partner comes to you with with something that makes you feel insecure or jealous or fearful or triggered in some way, I think to respond with thank you for sharing that. Not only does it communicate to them the appreciation, but I think it also creates a sense of calm in your own body where you're saying, yeah, I appreciate this. I may not be okay with it right now. I may not love it. I may have some feelings about it, but I appreciate that you were able to, to tell me that. Because we carry so much shame. And the way through shame is to share what, what it is that's, that, that's, that's keeping that alive. And again, so when someone brings that to you, I handle it very comfortably and vulnerably and say thank you. And then you can have your own feelings about it down the road, but don't swoop in with your own feelings. All of these things that you're making reference to though, Jess, that you've talked about them before so many times as well, is about having conversations, like understanding your own sexuality, having a stronger uh, relationship with your partner, having a better sex life starts with words, starts with thinking and understanding. And it's only if you're willing to do that. And I think some of the challenges, at least from some of the conversations that I've had with my friends who are willing to talk about it is how do I even begin that conversation, right? Like how do I, how do I go home tonight and say to my partner who I've never had this conversation with before, I want to look at different types of porn to see what I really like when there's all these other layers of, um, let's just say, cha rather challenges. Well, I tell them this. If you don't have a relationship that has um, a lot of frequency of that kind of intimacy and depth, start smaller. Don't do a drive-by where you just swoop in and drop these things that your partner's going to be like, what? That was so close. Because for some people, that is a very uh, heavy disclosure. And so plan that, work towards it. Right, like start to build the foundation, mm -hmm. um, build an intimate relationship, and then do that. But again, some of the fear of disclosure is around being slut shamed, uh, be, you know, homophobia. Will my partner think I'm gay if I'm hetero identifying? I want some ass play. Um, Why be called a porn addict if I share my interest in pornography? So, you know, I want partners to not bring those pieces in, so we can just let our other share their honest parts with us. Those are some some big issues, like cultural issues, to break down. That's right. But I think that you you give the best advice, which is to begin by by speaking, listening, and saying thank you, and really being grateful that you're in a relationship where someone can open up even if it's not always a comfortable one. So thank you so much thank for being so here. Much. much appreciated. So make sure you check out Rebel Love, Break the Rules, Destroy Toxic Habits, and Have the Best Sex of Your Life. And your website is... DrChrisDonahue.com. Awesome. Thanks again.
Before we sign off, a big thank you to Desire Resorts and Cruises for their ongoing support. Check them out at Desire Experience. Brandon, did you learn a bunch today? I learned so much. What are you going to do differently? Because I think it's so helpful to just, you know, take in the information and say, oh, that's really interesting to me or that really resonates with me. But I think that if you want to reap the benefits, there needs to be some cognitive shift or behavioral change. I I agree. I thought the body neutrality comment was really interesting. It's I'm trying to eat healthy or I'm eating how I want to eat. I'm trying to stay healthy by going to the gym. And this is how my body is because I do think that I'm guilty of seeing photos and images on my social feeds of people that I will never look like. And if I did try to look that way, it would be detrimental, in my opinion, to my life. So accepting that neutrality of where I'm at now and trying to be happy was something that I really thought was a very different and healthy approach which I thought was great. All right. So wherever you're at, hopefully there's something that you can embrace from Dr. Chris Donahue's advice, some sort of cognitive shift or behavioral change. I know you've got this wherever you're at. Have a wonderful week. We'll be back next Friday. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.